Welcome to CalCast, your creator national podcast. Network News, episode 201. Welcome, GNN fans, to another episode of God Network News, the podcast that tells you what God's doing around the world. Not what CNN tells you, but what GNN tells you is going on in the world. If you're tired of listening to all of that crisis network news and you want to hear what God's doing, well, give us a listen. Steve Addison is a great podcaster and very passionate about movements of peoples to Christ. And Steve has his own podcast, very successful podcast, with over 226 podcast episodes. And the name of his podcast is On the Road to No Place Left. And we highly recommend that you subscribe to his podcast because he has an overwhelming library of exciting topics related to movements. And if you want to learn more about movements, Movements. This is the place to find the information, and he has lots of training and tools and other resources that will really make your investigation of this topic successful. So we really want to thank Steve Addison and his partners there at movements.net forward slash podcast. That's how you can find it at movements.net forward slash podcast for all of the resources that he has given us for these next few podcasts. Thank you very much, Steve. I was in theological seminary in Germany um, and had just started. And we had uh, uh, one series of lectures, uh, Introduction to Missiology, just 15 lectures. And one of them, my missions professor, um, uh, a Canadian Mennonite, uh, Hans Karsdorf, devoted to the topics of people movements. It blew my mind. Wow. It, it caught my attention so after 45 minutes of lecture, I, I was shaking my head and thinking, wow, why am I only now hearing about movements? Uh, why is not every missionary who comes to our chapel talking about movements? Why is not every missionary who came to my home church uh, talking about movements? Why? This is amazing. This is, this is fascinating. So, um, you know, 45 minutes and he talked mm -hmm. a bit about uh, a Westcombe uh, picket and Christian mass movements in India and Alan Tippett and people movements at, as it was called um, at the time in Southern Polynesia and a little bit about McGavern and the, and the bridges of God. But boy, you know, he had me fascinated, uh, fascinated to the degree that um, I, I told you I was a young radical, a newbie, but radical. I decided I want to learn anything I can about movements. So 
I drove to the uh, university library. There's a library in Germany that has the mandate to buy any theological, messiological book that is published anywhere in the world, right? Uh, most countries have that. So I knew that my library would have any book that has ever been published on movements. And I went into the library and photocopied page by page of all the books. There were only a handful, but, you know, well, yeah, uh, half a dozen. Um, photocopied every single book uh, page that I could find mm. at that time to do with movements and um, and studied. And uh, I was by myself. I, I didn't find any fellow student who was equally interested in the topic. Um, yeah, and, and that's what prepared me uh, for ministry among Muslims um, in the Sudan. So, um, you know, with a highlighter, and a pencil writing observation, and then I started a word file. I'm always someone who thinks application, thinks implementation. Well, what's the practical takeaway from, from this great theory? Um, and I've started a word file on my first computer to say, you know, what, what does it mean in terms of implementation? What are practical steps that I can glean from this um, for um for ministry. So, for example, I'd never heard of the concept of multi-individual conversion. To think instead of extracting, and that was the model of the time pretty, pretty much, especially among those ministering among Muslim, extracting Muhammad, extracting Muna, and then trying to build a little house church around them um, while they're most likely alienated from their family, to think, how can I understand, read, you know, authority structures in society, uh, 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 connections, relationships, and rather steer a whole group, like a household, uh, what the Book of Acts calls an oikos, an extended family, into the kingdom. How can I uh, focus on leaders? Um, in Sudan, typically in rural societies, the so-called sheikhs, the traditional village chiefs, how can I make sure, you know, they are part of a, a process? So I developed um, a, a vision to really bring a whole people group into the kingdom, um, which God confirmed. Um, God gave me a vivid dream um, um, as I prayed over a particular people group in Sudan and, and showed me that, yes, there would be a big move of God among that people group one day. And that was at a time when there were maybe two or three non-believers. So it was absolutely unengaged at the time and just less than a handful of believers yeah. there. But when I hit the ground in Sudan, it was with the prayer and uh, my team and I were praying for nothing less than a movement. So when we did pray together several times a week, we did pray for a neighbor, Faisal, and you know for a neighbor, Asha, but we also prayed for the, the village chiefs. We also prayed for a movement and uh, reach out to people, always not only seeing the individual, but seeing the network behind them and thinking, how could we place you know, the good news most effectively um, in this community? And so how did you go sort of taking what you've learned from practitioners about movements, but then applying it in in your in Sudan, right? Um, well, um, uh, trying out a lot of things. So we experimented, you know, with identity. How do we present ourselves? Well, initially, you know, you learn Arabic, and then we're Christian. Okay, you know, every Muslim not, and 
drawer closed. You're in the box. And the conversation is over because now they know what you believe and what you stand for. And it's not worthwhile entertaining in any spiritual conversation, right? Because a Muslim is superior in his in his understanding of God and the truth than from a Christian. You're listening to God Network News Podcast with your host, Cal Curtis. Look up our website at godnetworknews.com. So then we experimented, well, you know, what does that mean if we say, well, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, of Isa, or I have surrendered my life to God in Isa. So we always wanted to bring Jesus into the conversation. So experimenting with who are we, how do we present ourselves and experimenting then what is good news for Muslims? So uh, as we were diving deeper, deeper into the culture, we got to know the, the brokenness and their pain and their hungers. And then thought, you know, um, how can we formulate a gospel message that is truly uh, good news to them? That is the good news of the kingdom, Jesus says, you know, he was preaching the good news of the kingdom. So in other words, to me, in essence, whatever we formulate as good news has to do be the kingdom of God. But what is the expression of the kingdom of God for these people meeting their needs, meeting them where they are in life at the time that we have the conversation with them? So that was a whole process of experimenting, um, always thinking again, you know, how can we how can we develop a message that is good news for this entire people group? And who do we need to relate to, reach out to, love on, and then share with so that there is a gradual opening for the good news, not only among a handful of individuals, but on a, at a communal level. And did you see the, those breakthroughs happen? Uh, we did not see it. Um, at the desired scale in the big city. Now, that is interesting, and uh, I've long thought and analyzed what I might have led to this. So in the big we did see fruit. Uh, my neighbor from across the road, uh, let's call him Frank, you know, he came into the kingdom, uh, even though my Arabic was still broken. Uh, well, we used some English as well, but, you know, um, so at an early stage, uh, I had I'd arrived in the neighborhood uh, eight months before and he, he committed to Christ. Um, and we saw um, we saw a house church established. Um, now, uh, the model didn't work uh, fully. And I guess one of the reasons was that we're still learning and experimenting ourselves. Um, and we, we only saw men come into the kingdom. Um, so again, it was individual conversion, individual decision, and, and um, because it was only men, it didn't it didn't uh, include the wives, it didn't include the children, um, and also it was mostly younger men who were not opinion leaders in society, who were not you know authority figures whose word had weight. Um, so we saw some fruit in the city, but not a movement. Um, then we deliberately moved um, into a rural area. Um, I had read at the time that most people movements uh, start in rural areas, in village contexts, where society is still more closely knit. And that's what we did. And uh, reached out to the village chiefs. So um, it was a humanitarian context. We had to uh, an identity as NGO workers. 
and started an NGO with a supplementary feeding program for malnourished children, a primary health care, a clinic in a tent, this type of thing to uh, express, you know, uh, the compassion of Christ. But we, we wanted, again, an identity question. We had learned that now. From day one, we wanted to make sure they they perceive us as spiritual people, as people who are different from the other white faces they had known. So I uh, had, had a meeting um, to get to know uh, the, the village chiefs of the wider area, picture me under a tree with 50 uh, chiefs, and basically said, you know, we are here to serve you and your people, your society. We also want you to know we're people who serve God with our lives and, and with, this, uh, with these services here. So a spiritual identity established from the very first encounter, I believe, was key. Um, and then bring Jesus into every conversation. Uh, that was our approach in a, again, contextual, sensitive way, not in an obnoxious way, but, you know, bring him into every conversation. Well, wh- why are you here? You know, well, why is a white man in an in a underdeveloped uh, a civil war-torn rural area? Well, the answer, I could have told them anything, but has to do with Jesus. And it was basically, in essence, you know, I'm one of the followers of Jesus. And, and Jesus really um, exhorts his followers to express compassion to the needy. And I heard about your, you know, your, your need here. And so that, that, that's the reason we're here. Any question? So, um, you know, do you, think, um, do you think there is hope that we would have peace here again? Well, again, that, that requires a longer answer. Why don't we have peace? But in essence, you know, Jesus is um, in Islam, the, the Nabi As-Salam, the Prince of Peace, um, you know, you can only have peace with each other uh, between tribes and in your families, from village to village, if you first have peace with God in your heart. And, and peace of, uh, with God you can have, you know, if you put your tr- trust in Jesus. So any, uh, bring Jesus into every conversation, basically. Um, and then realize they were generally open. Mm. Um, first, it was probably the respect for the outsider, you know, the foreigner, the NGO director. But then there is they really it, they they started to think for the first time, probably in their life, seriously about you know, um, and a, par- a paradigm, an alternative paradigm than the one that that people group had believed in uh, for five hundred years. Hundred um, percent of them, uh, they had never even considered an alternative. enjoyed this episode, please consider donating to help us continue to bring exciting stories fresh from the field. Visit our website at godnetworknews.com and select the PayPal link on the right side of the page or consider becoming a Patreon partner to receive access to more valuable materials exclusive to our members.